This is number 36 of this series of short addresses or studies for young people and we are still dealing with phases of truth in the Gospel according to John. Now, in the earlier one, number 35, we touched upon, necessarily, the chapter which deals with Christ as the Good Shepherd. I'm going to start off with that for this afternoon, for the second one of these studies this afternoon. But I'm coming to Matthew's Gospel this time. Tenth chapter. I had to have a rather a ding-dong argument with somebody recently. He did the ding, and I suppose I did the dong. Uh, but I was trying to hold him. I said, you do not believe the Gospel according to Matthew. Well, he maintained that he did, and in fact he maintained he believed it more than I did. But I put it this way. Supposing you gave written instructions to somebody, and you were going to send them on a message, and you said, go not in that direction, don't go to that people, but go to that people. And then you found that that man and all his followers for centuries had entirely ignored it and gone to the other people. Would you say they believe the message? Well, of course, he didn't fall into the trap because he knew what I was going to say. Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse 5. These twelve, that's the twelve apostles, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles. Go not into the way of the Gentiles is just as much God's truth as John 3.16 or Ephesians 1 or anywhere else, isn't it? So you read that and then you ignore it. But if you say, but do you really mean that's true? Well, he said, go not into the way of the Gentiles, into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather, is the choice, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's explicit instructions, isn't it? And in chapter 15, because our time is limited, it's repeated in a very personal way. A woman, called the Syrophoenician Phoenician woman, came crying unto him, O Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. This is chapter 15, verse 22. She said, Thou son of David, and he answered her not a word. They said, Oh, we'd better send her away. But she again ventured. She said, she worshipped him now and said, Lord. Lord is a wider term than the son of David. At that time, the son of David was to do with the sitting upon a throne with Israel's big kingdom. And this was a poor Gentile woman. What's she got to do with that? But the moment she said, Lord, he turned to her and he said, it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. But he gave her one little loophole for the word is not dogs, it's puppy dogs. Cuneria, little dogs. The dog is an outcast in the East. It's a scavenger. But for a few short weeks of its little life, it can play with its tail inside and then out it goes. So she said, truth, Lord. But yet the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their Lord's table. Masters is the word Lord's. So the Gentile got crumbs if she acknowledged that she was a little dog and Israel were the Lord's. Is there anybody listening to this? Is there anybody in this chapel who is just satisfied with crumbs that fall from Israel's table? when they can have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, exceeding riches that were never even known 
by Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You see, this message Matthew was sent to that people and we ought to respect it and acknowledge it. Now you turn to the 10th chapter of John's Gospel, you see there's no neglecting, there's no forgetting. The 10th chapter of John's Gospel. Verse 16. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one flock. Our version, you see, has not differentiated between the two words. They're two distinct words. They don't belong to the flock of Israel, but belonging to the one shepherd, they could be one. They're the fold of Israel, they could belong, belong to him and be one flock, even though they're subdivided. You can quite understand that even in ordinary shepherdry, there may be two kinds of sheep that would be best to keep apart, either because of their habits or because of their feeding or whatnot. Uh, you do know that it's, it costs less to feed black-faced sheep, black sheep than white ones. Do you know that? I'll leave that for you to find out. Perhaps it's nothing to do for me to tell you. But it's a simple answer. Well now, here's John's Gospel ministering to other sheep that were not Israel. For God's loving the world now. He came to his own and his own received him not. So he didn't neglect the outside Gentile world. If only people would believe God and say, Matthew was limited until the moment came for the next move to be made. God knows what he's doing. He's forgotten nobody. And so we have John, which uses the word world more than any book in the New Testament, emphasizing and doesn't say over and over again as Matthew says, that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled. Matthew is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. You don't find that in John's Gospel. You get men standing up bearing a witness, straight away without reference to the Old Testament until you get largely through to the inner portion of it. <coughs> Let's look at this a little bit closer now, shall we? Uh, one well-known passage, Romans 1, verse 16. Supposing we read each little portion and ask ourselves, is that true now? Romans 1, 16. How is this introduced? Well, he says, I'm on my way at last to Rome. I'd like you to know I haven't hesitated and thought, well, I've got a gospel, of course, to poor sinners, but I don't think I want to go to Rome. They're rather uh, highbrow people there. Well, oh, no, he says, I've been hindered, but I'm debtor. Most to the Greeks and to the barbarians, that's the way in which the world was divided up. The Greeks were the wise people, the rest of the people were the barbarians. Both to the wise and to the unwise. So much as in the ears I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And that's a figure of speech. Because I'm morally certain the apostle didn't say apologetically that he wasn't ashamed. Sometimes when you want to emphasize a thing, you use a belittling. Uh, you could hear, I don't know as the children who were taken for their little treat yesterday would use the expression, but it's very likely they might. If they got home, Mother says, did you have a good time? They said, not half. And then Mother says, oh, not half, poor little wretch. Well, what's the matter with you, Mother? Not half means a belittling in order to say, oh, I should think I did. The apostle says, 
He doesn't say, oh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says, I'm ashamed of it. He said, I'll give my life for it in the ultimate he Oh, he said, I haven't stopped away from Rome because I'm ashamed of it. I glory in it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God, and that word power is the ordinary word for miracle. So if you have to tell some people that miracles don't happen now, be on your guard. There's one that happens, blessed be God. Every time a sinner is brought to the Saviour and passes from death unto life, there's a miracle. And if it's a miracle, it's not merely reformation and turning over a new leaf, changing your opinion, changing your religion. A miracle. It's the miracle of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Now, up to now, I trust you believed all that and say, yes, that's perfectly true still. Now, there's one little bit more. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The Jew first. They were under obligation in those days to go to the Jew first. In the second chapter, when it's judgment falling, it's the Jew first. And in Acts, the third chapter, Peter said, you are the children of the prophets. It was therefore necessary that unto you first this message should be given. Because they were the appointed channel of blessing, and if they were converted and saved, then all the world through them would be evangelized. So God hadn't forgotten the world, he was focusing upon the needs. But when they failed, then there was another way in which this was opened up. So we have here, the Jew first. Now at the end of this Romans, the uh, 50th chapter, This is what he says. Verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. That refers to the people of Israel. So this is the Apostle Paul telling us that when Christ came, he had a limited ministry at the beginning. As he himself said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he says here, he was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. For they're all embedded in the Old Testament. And then when that's done, only then does it say that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So again, you see, now he only has to make a quotation or a reference to prove in his day that Christ had a ministry to the fathers to the Israelites, to the promises of God. But if he wants to bring the Gentile into it, he has to give about four references to prove it. Uh, you look a little bit back in Romans and see the way in which the same thing happens at the end of chapter 3, verse 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? Well, that's not a, that's not a question that we ask in the church today, is it? You go to an ordinary church, an ordinary chapel, and say to them, is God the, the God of the Jews only? They wonder if you're crazy. Because they've got no room for the Jew at all, some of them. But when this epistle was written, the Jew was dominant. Even though Paul was writing what we call the Gospel of Christ, he said, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? He had to plead to get the Gentiles to look in. Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing there's one God which will justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. And then to take another illustration, you remember when Peter received his vision 
and Raleigh wondered what it meant. Cornelius, an Italian, sent a message and came himself saying he was told that he would come to Peter and hear words of life. And instead of Peter saying, Oh my good man, I'm glad you've come. Didn't you know the church was baptized into one body on the day of Pentecost? Moses Cornelius, I never heard of that a good thing. It wasn't. That's what people say. But Peter, instead of that, he looks at this man up and down and he says, You know it's a thing unlawful for a man that is a Jew. Now, I'm not calling Peter a Jew. That's what he called himself. Some long time after Pentecost, Peter said he was a Jew. And he said, it's not right, not lawful for me to be found in company with one of another nation. But what can I do? So he started speaking. But he never spoke to Cornelius. He said, the word which God said to the children of Israel, as you know, in the land of God. He, he turns aside and says, you listen to what he said to the children of Israel. And how long we'd have gone on, nobody knows. God cut him short, and the Spirit of God baptized Cornelius. And he said, can any man forbid water? God's intervened. Look at the man. Who was I, he said, that I should withstand God? Can you imagine a man talking like that who opened the door of the church? <laughs> Have you ever been outside a door with the wrong key, friends? Peter had the keys of the kingdom and that never opened the door of the church of the Gentile. Only Paul had that. So you see, right division is true all the way through and works. Well, here we have it then. That the Gentiles should go. Now look at the hope of the church as it's summed up in this last epistle before Paul became a prisoner. The hope of the church says there shall be a root of Jesse and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now that word hope and that word trust are the same. Except one is a verb and one is a noun. So we ought to keep them the same. Let's do it. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Now the God of that hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So the hope of the church right through the Acts of the Apostles to the last statement made by Paul relates it to the root of Jesse who shall reign over the Gentiles. If that's not kingdom truth and a kingdom hope, how can you express it? The root of Jesse was David's ancestry, David the king, reigning over the Gentiles, and in him shall the Gentiles hope, now the God of that hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And then when you come to know that 1 Thessalonians 4 was written sometime before this, how could 1 Thessalonians 4 be the blessed hope of the church of the one body, when after it was all written, he says in Romans 15, that's the hope. But of course, you who are coming to our meetings on the Thursday evening, you know what I'm doing with regard to this question of the second coming. I've gone right back to the Old Testament. And I'm working up through Enoch and Job and David and Isaiah. I'm, I'm trying to soak myself in all the things that they've said. So that by the time I get to 1 Thessalonians 4 and read about the voice of the archangel, I should know he's referring to Daniel the 12th chapter. But that's another story. So you see, we have been now looking at this gospel according to John from two angles. First, the great claim, I am. I'm just trying to round these off now, the two. But I am is almost inexplicable because 
naturally we say, I am what? Or I am who? I am is the vastness of the nature of God. Well, he said, it overwhelms me. All right, said the Lord. Are you hungry? I am bread. Are you in the dark? I am the light. Are you dead and buried? I am the resurrection. See, whatever it is you need. That is to say, you've got in the word I am, a blank check. It's not that he says in ordinary ways to handle blank, blank checks, but occasionally it does. I know so much about income tax that I send a whole bundle to Mr. Morton. I send him a blank check, which I sign at the bottom, and when he adds it up and tells me what I've got to pay, I pay just gladly to get rid of the thing, and then I say, I suppose the rest of it's me own, you see. A blank check. And every day I can feel in a blank check. And every time my need is expressed in prayer, I'm taking a check which says, I am, and I put the resurrection, or I am the bread, or I am the light, or I am the way, and all these others. Don't you see? That's what Christ is. Inexhaustible. For his bounty. It is such. None can ever ask too much. So long as you ask in the right way, with the right object. Well, these short studies are being given in the chapel of the open book, and those who are attending that chapel are pretending for the time being that they are young people, and I believe that although that is the case, they are very, very glad that we go over these simpler things in this method, because you can never have them too many times or too simply expressed. How long this series will last, I do not know. Uh, but I trust that uh, whoever it is that uses them will be able to take, as it were, suggestions from them and then themselves break it down, break it down more and more as circumstances will permit.